And being turned back, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And the middle of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his ears were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters, and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp double-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand are the seven go and, and, and the seven candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Father, we bless this moment, your word and the ministration of your word. Sweep in this place by your spirit. Pierce hearts that have been hardened. Break yokes that have been laid on the shoulders of your people. And Jesus, by your spirit, reveal yourself afresh to us. Reveal yourself. A man stands before John. And when John looks at him, he sees the summary of all churches. A man stands before John. When John looks at him, he sees the summary of all that these churches will do. How great it is to meet this man. How great it is to have a revelation of this man. And this evening I just want us to focus on the work of the Holy Spirit in revealing Jesus. Because as the Jesus who truly lives is revealed, so many enterprises that are heading nowhere will suddenly have meaning. John looks at Jesus and he sees not just a man, he realizes by the Holy Spirit that there is a summary, there is a totality hidden in this man. And this evening I want to tell you people, we are here to encounter the Holy Spirit. We are here to encounter the Holy Spirit. And we are going to see the risen Lord afresh. Allow me to explain something briefly, because this service is going to be a bit different. Allow me to explain, to explain something briefly. When Jesus was on this earth, seven spirits walked with him. We see these seven spirits in uh, Isaiah 11 verse 2. The first one was called the Spirit of God. Because the first spirit of all the spirits of God is the Spirit of God. And why do we say the Spirit of God? Because some people do not have the Spirit of God. Though they say they are saved, the spirits of their ancestors are still trying to follow them. And this evening, I tell you in the name of Jesus, any other spirit trying to follow you, other than the Spirit of God, whether in dreams or in visions, whether in your place of work, whether in your marriage, I decree in the name of Jesus, as your eyes begin to turn to Jesus, as your eyes begin to long for Jesus, those spirits will be overthrown. 
Allow me to repeat myself. When Jesus is on earth, seven spirits walked with him. When he entered heaven, seven crowns waited him. On earth, he needed the Spirit of God to walk with him. In heaven, he needed, the, he needed the reward of God now to crown him. God does not just want to give you the Holy Spirit for nothing. He is to prepare you for a crown. A sevenfold crown. In Revelation 5.12, we have no time to go there. But seven crowns, seven diadems, or seven virtues are put on the head of Jesus. Why? Because while he was on earth, he had also walked in seven manifestations of the Holy Spirit. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we are not just talking about some wind or some fire. We are talking about the totality of God who is able to express the seven manifestations of God. There are people tonight, the Lord Jesus is going to deliver you from any in inferior and any kind of manipulating spirit. So that you can truly walk in the spirit of God and only in the spirit of God alone. So Isaiah begins to record to us the seven spirits. The first one was the spirit of God. The second one, if I may run there briefly, worship team, don't lose me. Let's keep working together. The second spirit is the spirit of wisdom. The third spirit is the spirit of understanding. The, the, the fourth one is the spirit of counsel. Next is the spirit of might. Next is the spirit of the knowledge. And the final one, the spirit of the fear of God. As Jesus began to walk in these seven manifestations, another manifestation waited for him in heaven. But this time it was not a manifestation, it was a crowning. And we need this crowning, not only when we reach to heaven, even in this life in which we live. Holy Spirit, right now, begin to reveal Jesus. One of the ways for the people to connect to the Holy Spirit is when they discover the greatest work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus. He is concerned about Jesus. He wants Jesus to be known to you. He wants Jesus to be seen in your life. He wants Jesus to be glorified. He wants Jesus to be honored. He wants him to be understood. That is his greatest work that he came to do on earth. And I pray this afternoon in the name of Jesus. May the Lord Jesus begin to be your concern like never before. May the Lord Jesus begin to be your desire like never before. May the Lord Jesus begin to be your burning, burning anger like never before. It's the righteousness of God. The Bible says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But who is righteousness? Righteousness is Jesus. Because when you sit in him, you are right with God. When you sit out of him, you are not right with God. I pray for a quickening of the Holy Spirit tonight. One of the greatest blessings we can have is a revelation of who Jesus is in totality. To see him glorified. To see him exalted. And how do we get there? By the help of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says he's our helper. The Bible says he's our teacher. He teaches us not about this world, but about the person of Jesus. The Bible says he's our helper. He helps us to connect more and more to Jesus. The Lord Jesus wants to sanctify you. But it can only happen by his Spirit. 
It is the Spirit to bring you to Him. You cannot go there alone. Some of you want to have revelation, but it is the Spirit to bring you to revelation. The Bible says, but I will go into the revelations of the Lord by the Spirit. We welcome you, Spirit of God. And even right now, may eyes begin to open to see Jesus. May ears begin to open to hear Jesus. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. I have underlined that in my, my Bible. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. He rose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you must say, Speak, Lord. For your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. 10. Now the Lord came and stood and called us at other times. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel asked, answered, speak. For your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, behold, I'll do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which, is, which he knows because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And therefore, I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's, Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. So Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he answered, here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. Then Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, that is now Eli saying, it is the Lord let him do what seems good to him. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all is right from Dan to be a sheep, not that knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet, a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again to Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Amen. Powerful scriptures, right? It's just almost like we should stop there and, 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 and call off the service. Uh, it blesses my heart. First Samuel blesses my heart uh, so deeply. Well, just quick context to this story. This portion of scripture comes hot on the heels of chapter 2, where we learn about the moral road that was in Israel at that time. We also learn in chapter 2, that this is not the first time that God is talking to, to Eli about the sin of his household. There's an anonymous prophet that had been sent earlier on, just before, and he was given exact message like what the boy Samuel is being given in this text. And the reason why God is unhappy with Eli's family is for one reason, which the Bible says that Samuel knew the sin of his sons, but he did not restrain them. Of course, you know the story. That the sons 
had taken for granted the offering of the Lord. You will find that one in 2 Samuel from 12. It says that now the sons of Eli were corrupt for they did not know the Lord. And since they did not know the Lord, they were feasting on the sacrifice of the Lord that was not made for them. What they did, if you remember the story, these two young guys, what they will do when people will come to sacrifice, they developed, crafted a three-pronged fork. Not even one. So that it doesn't miss, miss the meat. Okay? So when people will be boiling, boiling the sacrifice, they will send some of their servants to go and hook the meat from the boiling cauldron or pot. But remember, that was not the way it was supposed to be. If you read Le uh, Leviticus, the Levites were supposed to be given certain parts of the meat, right? They were to be given the shoulder and the stomach and I think part of the neck. But these guys thought that that was not enough, as you're saying. They had poverty mentality. So they decided to be crafty and developed a hook, big hook. So as it's boiling, you go in with a three-pronged hook, you can't miss the meat. Okay. So they will unhook the meat. And not that, just that. They will go and tell the people, give us meat now. And the people will tell them, look here. Actually, the church was more righteous than the priests. They will tell them, why can't you wait until we boil the fat of the meat and then we will give you. And the young men refused. And remember, these guys were ministering before the Lord. Are we together? They were pastors. They were priests. If you read further, you realize the Bible says that that behavior of conning God of his sacrifice displeased the Lord. But that's not all. There's a reason that makes God so mad about these guys. And it's for one reason. They went further and began defiling the women who were coming to sacrifice. Brethren, are we following together? That was what they would call the, the, the road that broke the camel's back. That they did not just dishonor the sacrifice of the Lord, but they went further and began defiling the church. Brethren, you can sin against the Lord and he will forgive you, but when you begin defiling the church, things, things turn around. For he died for this church. In that portion that I've just read in the earlier that I've just mentioned about Paul, Paul tells the, the, the elders that Christ purchased the church by his blood. Alright, so these two sins became so grievous and God said, I'm going to kill this young man. Because they did not honor my sacrifice and they defiled my people. So it is possible, brethren, that you can be ministering, you can be in church and you don't know the Lord. Like this son. But that's not the point. Let's begin the first insight that I want us to get from what we have read. The Bible says, now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli. That's the first thing that we want us to learn. That the boy Samuel, a young man, was ministering before the Lord. In other words, children minister to the Lord. 
Amen. But let's see verse 11. Verse 3 says, the boy Eli, Samuel ministered before the Lord. 11 says this. No, sorry, 7. Says, sorry, 7. Says, I'll begin with the 6. Then the Lord called yet again, and Samuel said, arose, so Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call you my son. 7 says, now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. So is the Lord, is the Lord conflicting his word? In chapter 3, we learn that Samuel was ministering before the Lord. 7, it says, and Samuel did know the Lord. So who was he ministering to? Who was he ministering to? But before you answer that question, you learn from scripture that Samuel had distinguished himself from the sons of Eli, that he was different. You will see in, two, in verse, chapter 2, verse 2, it says, but Samuel ministered before the Lord. Let's, let's, just, let's do that, then you come to that question. Therefore, that's 17 of verse 2, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. But Samuel ministered before the Lord. But means, it's a comparison, right? God is comparing the sons of Eli and Samuel. Samuel was different. So Samuel, chapter 7 says that he was, chapter 3 says that he was ministering before the Lord. 7 says, but he didn't know the Lord. This morning, brethren, and as I was coming in church, uh, I was sharing with a taxi driver who brought me. We were just talking about, about our testimonies. The man was giving me a very powerful testimony, how he began as a cobbler, uh, making shoes in uh, Kangemi, and grew and grew and was faithful. And, and, and he, he bought his first taxi of 50,000 and renovated it, and, and he has bought land, and he has got eight children. That man is full of faith. And so I began sharing my testimony with him as well. And I told him something when you were coming out here. And I told him, you know, my brethren, it is possible to be in church and you don't know the Lord. Personally, I grew up in church, as you know my testimony, until I was 23 years old. I did everything that religious people do. I fasted. I prayed. I taught choir, I went in choir, I taught Sunday school. But I didn't know the Lord. Until my third year at the university, when someone called me, said, Godfrey, can I take you to our church? And I heard for the first time about the Lord. And the Lord began building bricks on me, scripture by scripture, scripture by scripture. Same thing here, brethren. Samuel was ministering before the Lord as a young man, but he didn't have a personal revelation. Amen? He didn't have a personal encounter. So, brethren, my point is this, that let's bring our children the ways of the Lord that the Bible says. They may not have a personal revelation early, but let's keep insisting. Let them keep hearing the word of God, hearing the songs of God, coming and we worship together. Others would get revelation at the age of nine. Others at five. 
others are that six, others twenty. The Bible says they will not depart from the ways of the Lord. So let's be strict with our children. Even if it's inconveniencing for them to wake up in the morning to come to church, let's wake up those guys. Let's just bring them to church. It will be fruitful in the end. It will pay. Amen? That brings me to almost part B of that point. That if we don't do what we have just said about the children, the children can kill parents. Why did Eli die? If you read that scripture as you go on, you realize that Eli died, right? When his children died in the war, if you read further, and the message of God came and they told Eli, Eli, your two sons, Hophni and Vineas, are dead. And then he asked, what about the ark of the Lord which they had carried? He said, it has been captured by Philistines. The Bible says, Eli fell back and broke his neck and died because he was a fat man. Brethren, the children of Eli killed their father. Okay, let me show you something. Uh, I think that's verse 18 of the same scripture. Remember, our topic is insights from First Samuel, right? It's only three today. Okay, that, let's do 13. 13 of, of, of that. It says, For I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile, and he did not restrain them. The Bible says that the father knew the sin of their sons, but he did not restrain them. But wait a minute, brethren. Let's go back to chapter 2. Stay with me. Okay. So he says, now Eli was very old and he had everything his sons did to all Israel and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. Now, my sons, for, now, my sons, for it is not good report that I hear. Point is this. If you see chapter 2, Eli is restraining his children. Are you seeing that? But in chapter 3, the Bible says he did not restrain them. So is there a contradiction? Sorry. Uh, is there a contradiction? Why is the Lord saying that he did not restrain them? And in chapter 2, we are saying he called them and told them, I don't like what you are doing. Brethren, the point is this, in, in the interest of time. Eli came in too late and too little. Hello? He came in too late, too little, and not family enough. Because what he should have done was to remove these guys from being priests. When he just learned that they were defiling the people, that was, that was the report enough. And you learn that between the first prophet that was spoken to about Eli, and Samuel, it seems there was an interface of time. God had given Samuel enough time to repent and correct things, but he did not do it. Now, you want to learn about the character of Eli? You go to chapter verse 18. He says, he says after he gets the report from Samuel, he says, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. One preacher, I heard him say that uh, Eli was a very humble man. 
because of that uh, response. Let me tell you, he was not a humble man. Speaking softly and nicely doesn't make you humble. This man was fatalistic. He was what we call in French, let's say, fair. Okay? Did you see that? If it was a certain man, the Bible calls, he says that he had ruddy features and bright eyes and handsome features. His name was David. If it was David who had this report. Hallelujah. David would have done something different. That guy would have put on sackcloth and fasted and told the Lord, Father, do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Wash away my sin. Cleanse me. This man is so fatalistic. He says, let him do what? And the children killed him. So brethren, children minister the Lord, let's bring them to the church. Let's be careful. If you're not careful when they're young, they will kill you either spiritually or physically. Let's, dis let's dis discipline them in the Lord. These issues about human rights, let's be careful. Okay, the Bible says that foolishness resides in the heart of the child, right? But the rod of discipline drives it out. Okay? I know all of us are born again. We now to discipline our children. This issue about human rights, forget it. When the children don't hear, get a whip, drive out the demon of foolishness. Amen, parents? <laughs> I know they're not here. They wouldn't like to see. Yeah. It's not very popular with the middle class nowadays when you, when you say that. Okay, let's go number two. Insight number two. So we are down the children. Insight number two is that your obedience will usher you to the next level of anointing. Your obedience will take you to the next level. In your job, in your ministry. I want to show you something. The Bible says that Samuel was a young man when he was being called here. Bible history indicate that he was a teenager. Between 12 and 17 when the Lord comes to him. Now, the same scripture says that Eli was old and his eyesight was dim and fat. And so, he called Samuel the first time at night when he was asleep. Another history says it was almost dawn. Remember that Samuel is a teenager. And for those of us who have been teenagers, you know how teenagers don't like distraction. Hello? Particularly in the morning at dawn. An old man who is almost blind, who is not your father, calls you the first time and you wake up. Many teenagers will die, will behave like they are dead when they had an old man, if they had an old man calling them. Am I right? But Samuel woke up and went to Eli and said, you called me. And Eli said, I did not. Second time, he calls the guy, so he thought. He comes, he says, I did not call you. I can assure you that not many youth in our church today who are born again will have gone the third time. Someone who is blind, who is an old man, the young men will utter things in their sleep that you cannot print. 
But this, this man was different. Hallelujah. He went three times. It was a test on his character apart from being called by the Lord. If Samuel decided the second time that he would not go the third time, Eli would not have told him what he told him. The guy would not have heard from the Lord. Today we will not be reading about Samuel in the Bible. The man went to a different level of anointing because he had learned to be obedient. He had learned to do the things that others don't do. I can imagine Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of, of Eli, would not have gone if the father called them. Brethren, obedience will take you to the next level. It will unlock the destiny in your life. The Bible says this, that, and you children, honor your father and mother, that it shall, be, shall go well with you, and that you shall have long life. Brethren, have you ever at one time asked yourself, what is the correlation between obeying your mother and father and favor and long life? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What is the relation between obeying your parents, honoring them in the Lord and long life? I'll show you, I'll give you an answer quickly. Brethren, can you project for us uh, uh, Proverbs 8.35? Proverbs 8.35. Remember, we're talking about obedience, right? Why is it that when you obey your father and mother, longevity comes your way? And favor comes your way. What's the relationship? Let me, let's try to answer that question. Proverbs 8.35 says, For whoever finds me, we are talking about, that is about wisdom. Whoever finds me, so whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. Okay. Now, let me give some mathematical concept. That if you honor your mother, which is, let's say, two, plus honoring your father in the Lord, two plus two is equals to four, right? Two plus two is equals to four. Honor your mother and your father is equals to four. So let's give your mother two and your father two. Okay? Simple mathematics. Now, look at these proverbs. That if you find wisdom, you will find favor from you obtain favor from the Lord. When you go further, it says that you'll have long life, favor and long life. So it's the same equation, that if you get wisdom, if you love and get wisdom, it's equals to long life and favor. When you love your father, so if you love and get wisdom, three plus one is equals to four. Same equation. Hello? So, What's the collision between getting wisdom and long life and favor and obeying your father and mother and getting the same thing, same results? I'll give you a, I'll give you a little testimony so that you can get it where I can pin it home. I'll give you my personal testimony quickly. When I joined the university the first year, I stayed with a gentleman from my village who was four years ahead of me. This was the first gentleman to ever make it to the university from our area from our lo it's called location then. So he was our role model. So when I joined the university, since I knew him, it was easy for me to be his roommate. This man was doing what he used to call mad people combination. 
Okay. This subject was called mad people combination. Mathematics, <laughs> physics, and chemistry. The guy was smart, a genius. From a Harambe school, the guy got an A. So I come to Kenyatta University, and we are the same room. And I began noticing something from this guy, which was just like a joke. The guy will take one puff of the cigarette every time there's cuts and exams around the corner. And he will tell me, Godfrey, this thing charges my nerves. Okay. And surely, every time he will take one puff, he will do mathematics up to almost midnight, working on one sum, you know. And my room was always full of people because he was smart. So people would come for him to teach them. And he graduated from taking a puff during cuts to taking a puff in between the week. Now he added something else. They would go to a place called KM, for those who have come from KU, to take one for the road. Okay? He would tell me, this thing just judges me. I just become smart. And he would encourage me. Say, Godfrey, if you take this thing, it will make you hardworking and smart. And I wasn't born again then. And he would occasionally send me to go buy him a cigarette. Okay? So sometimes I would accompany them to, to the student union to take one or two beers. Not me taking, they will take. And they will encourage me to take. And remember, my parents were not born again. Actually, both my parents were, were, were drinking. They would take alcohol. But as we were growing up, my father had told me one day something. He told me, my son, if I had the ability not to take this alcohol, I will never take it. He told me, don't take alcohol. Don't be given to alcohol. Then one day, he also said something. That it is not in our family to smoke. I never saw people in my family smoke. And so many years down the line, when my roommate called Nick was encouraging me to drink, what I had heard from my father was like a leash around my leg. I'll always remember those words. If I had the ability to stop drinking, I will stop. And so, I never drank, I never smoked. When Nick graduated, he got a good job, and now he took it to a higher level of drinking and smoking. And one day, I was called that Nick is dead. Alcohol killed him. It was painful. They called me to go and eulogize in his, in his funeral. The only son of a single mother. Now, why am I telling you that? Wisdom and obeying your parents. If I didn't obey my parents, I'll be drinking and smoking pubs to death. Or I'll have already died. Are we together? So that voice helped me. Now let's compare that obedience and wisdom. Now in chapter 5, in the interest of time, the Bible says this. It says, of Proverbs, it says, the lips of an immoral woman drip honey and her mouth is as smooth as oil. Are we together? But in the end, she is as bitter as wormwood. Like Morbaine. 
Okay. But it says this earlier on, yes. If you can grow to number, number, th- number two, number three, Proverbs 2, 3. Okay. He says that woman is immoral and she will be bitter when you go to her. Let's begin from number three and you'll see. Uh, sorry, let's go earlier. Uh, one or two. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Lend your ear to my understanding. Remember, talk about wisdom and parents, okay? Uh, okay. That you may preserve discretion and your lips may keep knowledge. Let's stop there. So, the Bible is saying, young man, for you to avoid the immoral woman, keep wisdom. For wisdom gives you discretion. Hallelujah. I had discretion at the university because I had obeyed my parents. So when you obey your parents, you learn discretion. You learn to delay gratification. Same with wisdom. When you have wisdom, wisdom teaches you to wait. It teaches you to say no to certain things. So that is how you get long life. When you obey your parents, you learn discretion. When you learn to obey authority, not just parents, actually, that is authority. When you learn to obey authority, you begin to learn discretion. Point number two, how obedience gives you long life, is this, that when you learn to listen to your parents and obey authority, your ears get a wavelength that it can begin hearing the voice of the Lord. It teaches your ear to hear like the learned. Amen? That if you can hear a small voice from your boss of correction and you take it on board, you are preparing yourself. God is watching you. When he brings now bigger things to speak to you, he can trust that you will listen. So it trains your ear for bigger things that are coming. And when God speaks to you, it guarantees you that you will have a long life. I think we are done with that. So your obedience will usher you to the next level. Samuel was obedient. He had a long life. He enjoyed long life. Amen? Number three. Insights from First Samuel. It's going to go very quickly. Eli tells Samuel that if he calls you again, tell him, here is your servant. Speak, Lord. Although Samuel had been disproved by the Lord at this point, Samuel knew, I mean, Eli knew something about what to do. The point is this, that in life, you will need someone to point at you or to point you to your destiny. In life, you will need someone to point at you or to point you towards your destiny. It is Eli who told Samuel what to do when the Lord calls at that time. It is Samuel who pointed Saul to the kingship. Samuel again who anointed David. It's John the Baptist that pointed towards Jesus Christ and said, here comes one after me whose shoes I'm not supposed to untie. Brethren, you will always need someone to point you to your destiny. So be careful of how you relate with people in your life. 
One day someone told me, a lady told us in a youth conference, I've never forgotten I was a young guy just from the university. She told me something that helped me very much in my life. And she said, young men, one thing you need to know, that even if your boss is a monkey or a baboon, he is your boss. Learn to like the monkey or the baboon. And she said, in the meetings where your boss sits, you will never be called to defend yourself. His or her word in the boardroom is final about you. They will never call a subordinate to come and defend himself against the word of the boss. Unless it's a, unless it's a, a briefcase organization. Once your boss says, Paul or so is insubordinate. The word insubordinate, no one will touch you. They will never want to prove it. No one will say, okay, since you don't like him, let me have him from your team and see how he behaves. No. They will all begin handling you with care. As the Swahili say, penyo kuna moshi, kuna moto. So she said, young men, be careful how you treat your boss. Make sure that your boss shines. I never forgot that. Always make sure that your boss shines. Always make sure that your spouse shines. Make sure that your pastor shines. If he done something wrong, don't rebuke him in public. Take time and go and say in private. If he asks you to make a PowerPoint presentation, make a good one and don't, don't take the credit. Sit at the back. Don't care about the credit. When you do that, that guy will point towards you. He will say, there's a young man in my team. I think he can do this job. We can promote him. I think that is enough for that point. The last one. Uh, I don't know how to put this one. But as you read along those portions of scripture, the Lord tells Samuel that no sacrifice or offering is going to atone for the sin of Eli and his sons. And he says, none of people from Eli's family will grow old. They'll all die in their youth. In other words, God is saying, I'm going to wipe out the lineage of Eli. He won't be a priest anymore. And brethren, about 120 years down the line, God does it. He actually wipes him out in a very unorthodox way. He wipes out the lineage of Eli completely. And he does it this way. Quickly. <clears throat> a certain young man running from his boss called David, starting from, 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 from Saul, goes to a place called Nob. You know the story. Saul is following him, pursuing him. And he goes to Nob and finds a priest called Abimelech. So he runs to his house and told the priest, priest, look here. I have been sent. I am in a hurry. And that's why it says that the king's business desires rehearsed. He says, do you have any food? And the priest says, we have got some showbread. Christ quotes that scripture later on. And David says, can we have it? And then David asks him, and do you have any sword or spear? He says, I have got none except the one for Goliath, right? And David says, there is none other than that one. Give me that. And so 
Abimelech, being innocent, being deceived by David, hands over the bread and the sword. But inside there, there was a man from the Saul's family, an Edomite, okay, who had it. His name was called Doeg. So Doeg hears David requesting for bread and for the sword. And Abimelech thinks that actually David has been sent by Saul. That's what he told him. And so David leaves. And Doeg goes back to his master. And he arrives there when the master is addressing the army. The general, he says, where is the son of Jesse, David? Many of you know where he is and you're not telling me. And Doeg the Edomite said, yes, sir, I know where David is. I was in the house of Abimelech when he came to seek for bread and for the sword. Long story short, David asks for Doeg to come and asks him, have you conspired against me between you and the son? Have you conspired against me, you and, and the son of Jesse? He says, no, I haven't, which is true. Abimelech had not conspired. He was very innocent. But Saul, being a bloodthirsty man, decides to kill Doeg, I mean uh, Abimelech, and kills 85 other priests from that community. Wipes out the entire generation of priests in a single day, aligned to, to Eli fulfills the word of God that was spoken about 130, 20 years ago. But one, several guys escape and not killed. But come Solomon as the king, a young guy called uh, Abadia, who is one of the priests from the line of, of Eli, conspires and goes with his brother. Okay, they rebel. And Solomon, when he becomes the king, Dethrones him from the kingship and therefore fulfills the scripture completely. They were doing things without knowing, but they were fulfilling a prophet spoken by the Lord. Amen? So, brethren, the wrath of God is like a lesser guided missile. You can run away from the witchcraft in the village, you arrive in Nairobi, and you are knocked by a motorbike because there is judgment on you. Same thing about favor. Hallelujah. That when the favor of the Lord is upon you, whether you go underground, you go up, the favor of the Lord is like a laser-guided missile. It goes like this. You know what a laser-guided missile does? It looks for radiation. You know, our bodies emit radiation, perhaps energy, certain energy. So they send a bomb that seeks out that energy and it locks on that radiation. Whether it's a moving bus or a stationary bus, it will just come and knock that one out in a crowd. Laser guided missile. Same thing with favor. A guy called Joseph is a good example. The brother didn't like him. They put him in a pit. Even in the pit, there was no snake. There was no water. The guy was alive in the pit. Favor of the Lord was with him surrounding him. They sell him to Ishmaelites. They don't kill him and they take him to Egypt. In Pharaoh's house, the favor of the Lord was with him. In prison, the favor of the Lord was with him. And one man learned that in life called David. And he said, Father, surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me 
all the days of my life. And I will live or I will dwell in the house of my Lord forever and ever. Brethren, how do you get God's favor? Just one way. Being born again. When you are born again, you have attracted laser-guided missile from the Lord. He looks for you. You are part of his flock. I know you're not kid. I know you. I hope you understand me. That when you are born again, the favor of the Lord looks for you. You go for an interview and they say, you are number three, but we just like you. We just like you. It may not even happen in your generation, my brother Aliso, but your children and children's children. Someone will say, we just like your daughters. We just like you. It's a laser-guided missile. So, brethren, if you're born again, just one thing. Stay on the narrow. Just stay on the narrow. Bible says this, that the true foundation of Christ stands with this inscription, that the Lord knows those who are his, and those who are called by his name should depart from iniquity. Just stay on the narrow. The favor of the Lord shall follow you. You are children. You are children's children. It shall be well with you. Praise the Lord. Shall we clap for Christ Jesus this morning? <clears throat> Father, we thank you. We thank you for insights in your word. And we know that it's well with us. We thank you for your joy and your favor that is in our lives. We receive it. We thank you for the gift of salvation. For us and our children and our children's children is an inheritance that you have given to us. Who are we, Lord, that you should consider us that much? That will be called sons of God. Joined heirs of God. Join the hairs of Christ Jesus of your goodness. We can't thank you enough. We appreciate your everlasting master. Thank you for the favor. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the joy of salvation. Thank you for enlarging our territories. For giving us wisdom. For giving us longevity. We shall see our children's children. Because you have obeyed your voice. Because you have taught us wisdom. Father, continue to equip us with knowledge and understanding and discretion in life. Give us the ear of the learning that we may hear your instructions. Cause our hearts to be soft towards you. Remove the heart of flint and give us a heart of flesh. Every day. 